Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about spray coverage. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we are live in the Morton studio today. And we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I will just tell you, we've got a couple of upcoming events here at Ag PhD. One is our tiling clinic. Uh, we still do have some room for in-person attendance with that. We are limiting attendance at all our events this winter. But we do have some room for in-person attendance. Or you can watch online if you would like to. It is free to Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscribers to watch online. So just go to agphdinsider.com or agphd.com to learn more about that. Also, Neil Kinsey is going to have a workshop here coming up in just a couple of weeks. So if you're interested in that, we have more information about that on our website at agphd.com as well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, we had a few soil test questions from Mike in South Dakota yesterday, and we got through the first one, but he had two more. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so you've got in your hands Neil Kinsey's lab's test results. So on okay. one side, you've got uh, one that says sample six, and on the other one that says sample seven. I have got a sheet that has Midwest Labs results, so they, they ran the test through two different labs. Okay. So he said, here's the quick story on, on sample six. The crop is late to get out of the ground doesn't get very tall, generally dies in the month of July in that area of the field, whether it's corn or beans, the same kind of thing, little to no growth and dies early. And just looking through on the Midwest Labs, this is sample six. Midwest Labs shows about the lowest micronutrient levels in any of his tests. And you know, outside of that, he's got very low P1 phosphorus, very high P2 phosphorus, but it's an 8 pH. So it's his highest pH ground, his lowest micronutrient availability ground, and it appears that that phosphorus may be somewhat tied up there too. What, what else do you see on that particular sample that if that was your ground where stuff's dying in July or early August that you would address? Okay, well, whenever we talk about crop dying, then I'm usually thinking about a couple of things. Number one is drainage. Number two is herbicide carryover. Now, it's certainly possible that just simply lack of nutrients there could be killing a crop. But, you know, without knowing the history, it's hard for me to say anything for sure. So that is what I would be concerned about. And when you say 8 pH, well, there are a lot of herbicides that carry over far more in an 8 pH than they do in a 6 or 6... 0.5 pH or 7 even. So I, I would worry a little bit about what herbicide's been getting used there. And certainly, I mean, there are shortages here. I mean, the potassium's really low. Phosphorus is low. Uh, boron's low. Copper's low. I mean, sulfur's low. There are a lot of things that need to get addressed besides 
just you know taking a look at drainage and possible herbicide carryover but that's i mean that's the first stuff i can come up with off the top of my head and i didn't look at comparing the one side to the other side i mean did you see anything as far as the comparison between the two okay so the other sample sample seven he said here's where the crop gets really tall and lush but doesn't produce yield oh wait so both of these are bad yes in different ways all right in different ways, but yeah. but I'm with you on that first one with an eight pH. There could be some things like herbicide carryover. Sure. I may want to look at your herbicide program just right. to see is there something in there for, that could potentially carry over in high pH. Yeah, for example, atrazine is going to carry over far worse. I mean, leaps and bounds worse in an eight pH than in this other sample, which is six point four. So if you use let's say even one pound of atrazine, which we always used to say, well. You could probably get by with that. You absolutely don't have a chance in the world of getting by with that in an 8 pH if you used a pound of atrazine the year before. And sometimes these things get hidden. So, for example, there are lots of what companies will call new products. Like, for example, uh, Syngenta talks about Acuron. Okay, oh, it's this great new product. Well, it's really not. Uh, you've got old atrazine that's, you know, 50 years old. You've got Callisto in there that's 20 years old. The only thing that's newer, it, we got old Dual. Um, and granted, it's a different formulation, but still, it's Dual from 40 years ago, the active ingredient. And then you've got Bicyclopyrone, a different HPPD. I'm not saying Acuron's a bad product. Please don't misunderstand. I'm just simply saying there's atrazine in there and it isn't talked about a lot. And that's what happens with a lot of these premixes is you go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to use that. And then they say it's good and you don't even know 100% for sure what's in there. And if you have soil issues like this, then that's where that could potentially end up hurting you. Okay, so I'm Sorry to anybody from Syngenta that I use Acuron as an example. I could I could have used an example from BSF, from Bayer, from Corteva, anybody. It's all the same thing. All I'm saying is everybody needs to understand what are all the active ingredients in every herbicide they use. Okay. Uh, thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, this one comes from Ethan, and he said, if someone did subsoiling and then planted over those strips, would that corn or soybeans turn out extra good as the roots can go deep where the subsoiler went through previously. So we have done that ourselves and it can be okay. Here are a couple of things I'm concerned about though. Number one is, is it going to sink? Is that now going to be a sinkhole for you? We have seen that happen before. Uh, Number two, what's happened with the fertility right in that spot? So in other words, did we move soil out of that area? Did we we push soil into that area? Did we move fertility out of that area or herbicide or anything else? I I, I don't know. So a lot of times what happens after subsoiling is we cover it, either by doing strip tilling over that area or by doing conventional till, just because we worry so much about some of these other potential issues. All right, lots to talk about today, and our topic is going to be spray coverage as well. You can call in at any point, 844-44-AG-PHD, if you have an agronomic topic you'd like to to discuss. We will be right back. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation. The consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front. 
offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when ASGRO leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today and talking about spray coverage. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show if you have an agronomic question or want to talk more about spray coverage or ask specific questions. Love to hear from you, 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's start with Nick Flights with Pentair. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. You know, one of the questions, we're going to talk spray coverage today, and I'm sure you've got a lot to share, but I, I wanted to make sure that we we hit uh, some of the dicamba products that are out. I know you're working on new nozzles there, and, and there are lots of things happening in that part of the industry. Talk to us about how do we keep drift down, and how do we get great spray coverage at the same time? Well, the first on the, the drift component, uh, the biggest factor in reducing spray drift or in, you know, your overall drift potential when spraying is your, your nozzle selection. Nozzles are going to have the, the biggest impact. Um, so that's really where it starts, in my opinion, in, in making sure that we've got a nozzle that's designed to provide high levels of drift reduction. And, um, you know, there's most of the nozzles on the, the dicamba and 2,4-D labels are going to be pretty strong in drift reduction. Uh, you know, there's some out there that are designed to go a little bit higher uh, than the ones on the label. But if you start there um, using an approved nozzle, you're, you're taking the right first steps. All right. When you think about that, that spray nozzle, I know we've used a lot of the ULD nozzles, the ultra-low drift nozzles over the years. And I know there's newer technology coming out. Can you talk to us about the, the 130 Max? Is that something you can speak about now? Yes, sir. Yeah, so the ultra-low drift Max, or ULDM, uh, is a new nozzle from Pentair High Pro, really designed for dicamba and 2,4-D, very specifically for those. 
Uh, you mentioned the, the 130. It does have a little wider spray pattern than most broadcast nozzles at 130 degrees. Uh, so the ULD um, had 120, so we're going a little bit wider. And a couple reasons for that. Uh, one is the lower boom heights being mandated by the Dicamba 240 labels. They want your maximum boom height of 24 inches above the target you're spraying. Uh, so we want to make sure we keep good overlap between our spray patterns at lower boom heights. And then if you're using uh, you know, drift reduction adjuvants, we're seeing a lot of that um, those products being used. And if you get into a situation where uh, there, there was to be some ca pattern collapse, um, then that would also help give you a little bit more margin for error there with uh, the wider spray pattern. And it does uh, provide uh, up to 95% drift reduction. So that's taken it a step higher than, um, than the ULD uh, and a lot of the other you know, competitor nozzles on the market. Uh, we're getting a little bit higher level of drift reduction to give a little bit added insurance you know, against off-target movement with those dicamba and 240 herbicides. When I talk to farmers about this and about trying to keep drift down, one of the things that I ask a lot is, well, what's your boom height? And it's, it's amazing to me, Nick, that a lot of guys say, well, I try to keep it fairly low. <laughs> and I say, really? So try to keep it fairly low. And I, I think this is one of those kind of missed opportunities here. We've got such big booms, so I realize it's easier said than done. Is it really something that growers can execute pretty well, keeping that boom down low? That's the, you know, I said nozzles is the first step in a tree achieving you know, effective drift reduction. Boom height's the, ne the next most important thing, in my opinion. And I know it's hard. I know it's tough, um, especially with the wider booms. And, um, you know, something I don't know a lot about, but something I would encourage people to look into is automatic boom height control systems uh, to help keep those booms down as low as we can. And that's going to help with that, that off-target movement uh, and, and help keep those products available to us. Yeah, I think that's a good idea as well. Okay, a couple other things. Speed. I know this is one that another kind of sensitive topic sometimes, Nick. I, I'll ask a farmer. They'll say, ah, I didn't get the greatest coverage out there. What did I do wrong? And I'll say, well, how fast are we going? Well, what's that got to do with anything? And, well, it's got a lot to do with it. What You've obviously done studies on this. What do you see with speed? Is there kind of a, a safe spot there for most farmers to be at? Yeah, so we talked about speed, and you know we're driving across the field, and we're creating our own artificial wind, right? Regardless of what the wind is doing in the atmosphere around us, the faster we drive, uh, the more wind we're putting. Um, and also, higher booms tend to go up with speed. If you drive a little faster, the booms are going to bounce and sway a little bit more, so you want to raise that boom up a little higher. Um, and some of the issue there is you kind of get this wind shear effect uh, at the spray nozzles as those droplets coming out. Um, the finer droplets can kind of get caught up and trapped in that wind, and then they're not making it down to the target um, there. Also, you kind of get dust. You know, some herbicides are sensitive to dust and, and, and that being on the leaf surface. Uh, glyphosate's one of those that uh, gets bound up pretty quick with uh, soil particles. So the faster we're driving, we can kick up more dust. And that can also have an interaction. So, you know, I think that 15 mile per hour mark uh, is a pretty good one to try and stay there, regardless if we're applying dicamba, really any of our applications. I think um, 12 to 15 um, is a good good mark where we can we can still cover ground, but uh, we can also do it effectively as well. 
Yeah, I was talking to a farmer about this, I believe it was this fall, that he, he mentioned, okay, you, you've been getting on me about my speed here, so I have slowed down. I figured out how to do it. And I said, well, how did you do it? He said, well, I, I increased the speed of my fill time. He said, that didn't create any more drift for me. He upgraded, uh, I think he was using two-inch line before I went to three-inch line and, and got a really nice nurse trailer to go along with that. Is there new technology there that growers should think about in terms of mixing products and filling sprayers that could give them more daylight hours to run spraying? I would. That's something I mention a lot. If you search online, there's some calculators about sprayer productivity where you can play with different factors as driving speed and boom width and fill time and that. And one of the most effective ways and one of the biggest potential gains in our spraying productivity is reducing that fill time. So transfer pumps, you know, I think there's a 400-gallon-per-minute transfer pump out there. You can fill a tank pretty fast with that. There are chemical reduction systems like the, the Clean Load Max from, from Pentair High Pro that uh, help get uh, those products from the nurse trailer into that into that sprayer fast. You can very quickly dissolve and mix in dry bags of AMS or other dry products, liquid products as well. So that that's an area that I would really really encourage people to look at to get some of those productivity gains. And and you're doing it in a way that's not going to sacrifice any performance of your sprayer or of the products you're putting through it. Talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair, and Nick's always got a lot of great advice. Now, Nick, one of the things that you you mentioned on a previous call that we'd had with you is spray incline, and we've gotten a number of questions about that. Could you explain what you mean by incline, and then what should we be looking for on nozzles in terms of improving coverage and performance with incline? Yeah, so if you think of a standard nozzle, it's spraying straight down perpendicular to the ground. But when we talk about incline spray patterns, they're spraying kind of diagonally, either forward or to the rear or both, depending on the nozzle type. So we're kind of coming at the target we're spraying, whether it's a plant or the ground, at an angle. And the real key here is that's helping improve coverage and the uniformity of coverage um, when we're applying. So the nozzle spraying straight down, they don't always give the best coverage. Um, there's kind of a relationship with the sprayers you're moving across the field. It kind of propels that pattern forward. So we tend to see uneven coverage on vertical targets. And one side gets coated good, whereas the other doesn't receive as much spray. So those incline spray patterns um, help improve coverage of the soil surface and also the, the um, you know, plants that we're applying it to, whether it's a fungicide on our crop or herbicide on weeds. You know, either the dual fan pattern is popular to improve coverage for contact herbicides and fungicides, um, or just nozzles in general that have a, an incline on them. Um, the 3D from Pentair High Pro, the Guardian Air is also another one, the regular Guardian. There's several out there um, from nozzle manufacturers, and if you're looking to improve coverage, that's a key, good thing to, to look at, look for in your spray nozzles. You bet. We're talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair. Nick, thank you so much. Lots of great info as always. Talk to you again soon. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about spray coverage. Nick brought up a number of things there. Uh, we got into spray incline there at the end. We're going to talk about drift control and more, so stay tuned. 
Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today and talking about spray coverage. Now, I understand there's a lot of different things here with spray coverage that we could be talking about. Drift control, certainly a big topic. Just getting good coverage to have excellent weed control or insect control or disease protection or to make a certain product work uh, and, and just the differences of what you need from one product to the next. There are a lot of questions. We're turning to John Nowatsky with North Dakota State University for some of the answers. John, thanks for joining us. Okay, how are you? Well, pretty good. Pretty good. I got lots of questions. So when, when you get questions okay. about spray <laughs> coverage, are they mostly drift questions nowadays or are they about getting good performance? Yeah, they're right now. 
the ones I get are mostly about drift, reducing drift, and what can they do to to reduce drift. You know, I think there was so much issues the last couple of years, with particularly two years ago with dicamba drift that uh, that really you know increased the uh, <laughs> the interest in in drift reduction. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, off-target drift hurting neighboring crops is certainly something nobody in agriculture wants. So, all right, talk to us about that. We've got, like Dicamba, they've got all kinds of tips that are on their website, and they're updating it all the time about here's some tips you can use. I get it. That's part of the the challenge is just using the right spray tips, but I think there's a lot more to it. Where do you think guys are missing the boat here on and having some drift problems? Okay, I think... Uh, you know, there's several of them. One of them is, uh, you know, like you say, they're they're maybe not uh, choosing the right uh, nozzles because you know different products are recommending different nozzles, and they can't obviously have ten or fifteen different kinds of nozzles. So that's one thing. But I think another one is uh, keeping the, the you know trying to get the uh, nozzles as close to the to the crop top or to the weeds, whatever it is you know that you're flying that you're. Uh, Spring. So getting the, the you know the the boom down as close as you can, like twenty inches from it, that's one thing. Um, you know, and and obviously um, <clears throat> the um, the wind and the wind speed and wind direction uh, are are big issues. Um, another thing is uh, trying to reduce um, pressure as much as you can, because. Fine, it's really the fine droplets that are drifting. And so something like 150 microns, uh, just as an example, <clears throat> a human hair is about 100 microns in diameter. So those small particles are the ones that are really drifting. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing that, you know, to reduce drift, uh, we really need to talk about uh, recognizing temperature inversions. Uh, so that's, that's another issue. Yeah, temperature inversions, that's absolutely another topic. Okay, uh, back to the spray coverage then topic. You've got a lot of different crops in North Dakota. One of them is wheat, and I know that growers are always concerned about disease on wheat, head scab, and other things, but sometimes getting coverage on a crop that's thin and sticks straight up in the air can be a little bit of a challenge. What do you see with wheat and trying to get great coverage out there to, to help the guys out? Well, I think the first thing there is you can uh, use finer nozzles because generally we're not concerned or very little concerned about drift of uh, fungicides. So if you're applying for diseases, so you know uh, a nozzle that can uh, can give you uh, small droplets there, and uh, we're finding that uh, tilting the uh, uh, the nozzles forward helps uh, about. Uh, uh, I think it's about 30 degrees forward helps uh, to get better coverage. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so, th- so those are two things that that really help. And I think uh, um, you know the idea of of making sure that, again that your your boom height is close to the top of the uh, uh, to the top of the uh, grain would help too. 
Yeah, they're, they're, you're right. It's not normally just one thing. There's usually a variety of factors. And we talked through drift, we talked through some spray coverage, and we talked through multiple crops here. We've got John Nowatsky with us with North Dakota State University. John, we could talk all day about this. We really appreciate the information and uh, look forward to spring coming soon. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah I was going to say one other thing. There's a couple of bulletin uh, publications, extension publications, that uh, just... Uh, Google uh, spray drift reductions and choosing nozzles at NDSU Extension Publication. Excellent. Thanks for the resource. We appreciate that, John, and and have a great day. All right. Yeah, bye. Let's head up to uh, Saskatchewan. We got Tom Wolf with us. He's the known as the nozzle guy. Tom, is it all about the nozzles, or are there some of these other factors like John Nowatsky was just talking to us about that are going to help us improve our spray coverage out in the field? Yeah, no, John's absolutely right. It's it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that comes together. You know, the boom height that he mentioned is obviously important, but the nozzles are still the most important tool. You know, oftentimes choosing the right nozzle is step one, and then using it properly is step number two. And, you know, John mentioned uh, keeping your pressure low. Of course, it's doing that to uh, minimize drift in many cases. But many of our new nozzle technologies actually are uh, already a low-pressure design, a pre-orifice design or an air induction design that actually requires somewhat higher pressures to work well, and still they produce uh, very low-drift kinds of sprays. You know, take just the the TTI nozzle, for example, a T-Jet product that is uh, uh, obviously recommended for dicamba. It's often used at 50 to 60 PSI, and you know that seems like a high pressure, but that's the pressure at which that nozzle works well, produces a good pattern, and still very, very low drift. Yeah, it does make people nervous. I can't tell you how many farmers I've talked to that have said, man, do I really need to run that pressure? I'm worried about drift, but it's really important just to look at, at what the recommendations are and see what's actually coming out of that nozzle. Um, now, when we think about this, a lot of times this time of year, people are in the shop, they're working on their, their sprayers, checking these nozzles out, just running some water through, and they notice, huh, my spray pattern's not perfect on a few of the nozzles. At that point, what do you recommend? Do you recommend that that farmers just replace the whole set because even if it's not showing it it's probably starting to wear or do you just pick and choose which nozzles you keep and which nozzles you have to replace yeah i uh you know it's like a four-legged stool you know and trying to get that one right that's uh, the problem and you never quite get there no, I, I fully recommend that uh, nozzles should be treated like we used to treat the spark plug in our engines, you know, and you replace them all. They're a wear item. Uh, you uh, Obviously, you try to, uh, you know, take proper care of them so they don't get physically damaged, uh, which can obviously shorten their life. But if you've had your nozzles for 30 or 40,000 acres of them spraying, uh, that might be four or five years, depends on the size of your farm, it's time to replace them. Some of these nozzles are still quite cheap. You can you can get a pretty good nozzle for five to ten dollars a pop, and that's uh, you know five to seven hundred dollars on a on a sprayer. That's not that bad considering the work they do for you. No, they're super important. Okay, so last question for you: Which nozzles do we really need to have? A lot of farmers say, "Look, I'm willing to carry three different nozzles. Which one should I pick?" That's a tough one. You know, we, we, I generally gravitate to the, uh, the, the, the multi-purpose nozzle. It's mostly an air induction or a pre-orifice design if, it's a, if you use it on a PWM system. But basically, uh, every major manufacturer has at least one of these in their arsenal. Uh, for example, let's go through some trade names. Let's go alphabetically. 
John was just speaking from North Dakota. Uh, up in North Dakota, the air bubble jet is actually a, a nozzle that it's certainly popular up here in Canada. It's an it's an air induced nozzle. So air bubble jet is one of them. Uh, next one, we want to go to the Greenleaf uh, nozzle brand. That's from Covington, Louisiana. Uh, that is I would the one I recommend there is called the Air Mix. Uh, the next one is Hypro. Uh, Hypro, as you know, also offered on John Deere sprayers. Hypro Guardian Air is the one, and John Deere calls this one the Low Drift Air. It's the same nozzle, though. Um, next, let's go to uh, let's go to T-Jet, a very major manufacturer, as we all know. They have one called the uh, AIXR. Uh, and then if you're in a PWM system and you have a case or, or many other systems, the case nozzle body uh, is the Wilger nozzle body. And they have a, an excellent nozzle that's low drift called the Wilger MR. You know, there and are they just... also offer the SR. All right, yeah. Tom, we're out of time here, but that was a lot of suggestions there. We appreciate that. Hopefully that hit just about everybody there with their different types of sprayers. Tom, you're a wealth of knowledge. Thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You bet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. 
High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've had some interesting guests on with a lot of ideas about how to get better spray coverage. But Brian, you know, we talked well, a lot about spray nozzles, and one of the things that I was thinking about, and we didn't really get into with any of these uh, guests that we had on, was just looking at some of the different products. And there is such an uptick in use of Liberty this a, year. Yep. I've had so many questions about what do I need to do? I've been spraying dicamba products but you know what i'm going to spray more liberty this year and i hear i need a lot different approach to that yes and that was i i'm glad you brought that up that was exactly where i was going to go i thought a lot of good stuff got talked about but when it comes to product selection that's i'm not going to say everything but that's a really important thing so for example darren mentions liberty i can also think of bassagran buctrel gramoxone products that would be like Liberty, where you've got to get great coverage. And literally, if you don't cover every single leaf on that plant, that leaf that you didn't cover probably isn't going to die, meaning a growing point doesn't die, meaning the whole plant doesn't die. It's that important to get great spray coverage with those products. Then on the other hand, you have products like, let's say it's Roundup or Clethodem or, I mean, a whole bunch of other herbicides where if it gets in a high enough dose gets into any leaf in the plant, that product will move all throughout the plant and it works just fine and it'll kill the whole thing. So, yeah, I I mean, when we talk about those that need the fantastic coverage, it is important to use the right nozzle and to use more water and spray pressure and all that kind of stuff. But the other side of it is you have to spray really timely and more timely than you would with those other herbicides. So, we ran into this last year on our farm. We had enlist beans. And and it's totally my fault. I'm not going to blame anybody else for it. And I just said, you know, we talked about this for months. And we we're like, well, we'll you just use the 2,4-D first. We'll come back with the Liberty later. 2,4-D has residual. You know, it'll be nice and whatever. It is going to be great. Well, right before we were going to spray the Liberty, I went out and I was scouting our fields. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, our beans grew. I don't know what in the heck happened here in the last week, but our beans are so well canopied now that we can't spray Liberty. Liberty's never going to have a chance to kill those weeds. No way. It will not work. So we switched and had to use 2,4-D a second time. Well, that's not great for the, the weed, you know, the herbicide rotation or anything. I'm worried more about weed resistance now. So I said, okay, how about this year we switch it around? Let's use Liberty first, and then we'll come back with the 2,4-D later. That'll be much better because that Liberty just needs great spray coverage. And again, the other products I mentioned were Gramoxone, Bassagran, and Buctrel. They're all very similar to Liberty in that they have to have that amazing spray coverage. So, yes, you can take all these other steps that everybody talked about today, but let's not forget it matters depending on the product you're using and just that amount of crop canopy that you have down there. Oh, there is one last thing that I'm going to throw out, and this came up 
yesterday. I'm trying to think of who I was talking to. It was an agronomist talking to a farmer in Iowa that had a bunch of his corn go down because of the derecho, because of the big wind. Well, and he, now I don't think this is the case, but he claimed uh, it was a hundred bushels to the acres on the ground. Uh, I really hope it wasn't, but let's just say that it is. Anyway, the question was, well, what do I do now for the volunteer corn? And I said, no big deal. You're just going to spray fusillade twice. Problem solved. But here's the thing. When you have what we've always noticed with volunteer corn is if it's on the ear and now you have bunches of volunteer corn, and if you raise soybeans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've got those bunches, then it just never seems like we get the great spray coverage to kill every single plant. So you have to come back and spray a second time. So when you have that those situations where there are 100 bushels or even 20 bushels that you feel like are on the ground from last year and you don't have livestock to clean that up for you, you want to get extra great spray coverage there and it's those plants that are smaller when you're spraying because they're so shaded out by the other weeds that are out there the other volunteer corn that's out there so just another thing for you to be keeping in mind all right let's jump back to the egg phd mailbag all right brian we get a question this is from robert in east central illinois it said 30 inch row corn bean rotation my soil is heavy and easily compacted we run a 16-row strip-till bar with a dry box for banding fertilizer 6 to 7 inches deep. Question, do you have a strong opinion about moving strips over every year or keeping the band in the same place? I am thinking I may want to keep them in the same place and control my traffic since my soil can be easily compacted. I understand that logic. Here's the reason why we don't recommend going back in the same strip. It's the allelopathy from whatever plant was there last year and just the fact that now it's going to be harder to get the perfect stand because you've got that residue from last year. The old stalk, the old roots, uh, I mean, it's just, it's hard to work with. It's much easier to work with that when you move over. Now, as I say that, you do not have to move 30 inches or 15 inches over. You could move 5 inches over. So now you're still able to take advantage of any extra fertilizer you may have had in that strip because it's only a few inches away for the roots to go get that. So that would be my proposal to you as an alternative, not going completely in the center, which many people do, including us, just go well, over a few inches some people just like far to go, enough. Some people like to go right up the middle so they can drive on last year's corn stalks right. and try to reduce have the compaction. That reduce some of the compaction exactly. a little bit. And a lot of folks like to leave last year's root ball intact to let that decay naturally yep. and slowly in the soil and so forth. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why you can go one way or the other. The cool thing is this, though. You can play around with this on your farm and do tests for zero dollars. So you can move it around a few inches this way, a few inches that way, and just see what you think. Now, obviously, every year is different. Some years it's going to be harder to avoid compaction issues than others. But I would suggest you try a few different things. I kind of like moving over, but that's that's just me. Hey, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Robert. Uh, okay, this one, uh, no name on this, but he, he said, I'm in a continuous corn, no-till, dry land. 
were subject to multi-week dry spells during the growing season. I'm doing steps to build my zinc levels by broadcasting dry zinc sulfate with my phosphorus P1 at 40 parts per million and my latest zinc from Midwest Labs DTPA test at 2 parts per million. I know I need to increase that zinc. Yep. Since I won't be broadcasting zinc again until next year now, would you advise a foliar product during V4 post-emerge herbicide pass? I've got heavy soil, CEC of 35, adequate calcium, magnesium around 10, and oh, by the way, I'm also spending money building my K levels up from 1% to 3% base saturation over the last few years. Okay, I would say no, I wouldn't do it foliar. I would do more with a planter. I mean, I wouldn't get carried away. I wouldn't get into this enormously big build program. But here's kind of what we found. When we're short on certain nutrients, if we just go above and beyond crop removal rates by a, a little ways, 50%, maybe even double. And I, I realize I just said little, and then I go 50% or double. But what we're talking about here is instead of using, let's say, a pint and a half or something of zinc, you're using three pints of zinc in the furrow. Um, there are a lot of people that will talk about a quart, so now I'm talking about quart and a half maybe, you know, something something like that. Um, it could also be two by two. So the, the problem with broadcasting zinc in a no-till, very dry area is it's going to take years for that zinc to get down in the ground. It just doesn't move well. So if you tell me, look, I want to get for once and for all my zinc levels up to let's call it five, and I'm just going to do this in one shot. I would tell you, go till your ground and then go back to no-till for the next 10 or 20 years because that it's it's just not going to place that fertilizer very well. So I'd, I'd, I'd do it in strip-till. I'd do it with a planter. I'd do something like that and get a little more out there. The challenge with foliar feeding is this. You're only going to be able to get enough into that plant for what the plant needs for the next week or two. And then if there is some left over that lays in the soil surface, again, it's zinc. It's not going to get down in the ground. It's not going to get down to your roots this year. So the rest of it's, I'm not going to say wasted, but it's wasted for this year's crop. It's going to get used by a future crop somewhere down the road, maybe years from now. So I don't think I would do that. Now, I'm not saying don't do any foliar fer fertilizer. If you want to do some, fine, but I definitely get more in furrow or two by two. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio. It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf from planting through harvest. The active ingredient Flutriophol moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start with first of their kind Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides, available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. 
Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line, or radio at agphd.com is our email address. All right, so we got uh, an email just the other day from Rick in Central South Dakota, and he sent a bunch of soil samples, and... This is a fun one. So Janelle printed out some individual soil samples, but also a summary page in the finest, smallest print that she could send us. And apparently, not surprisingly, we missed one of the little details in that fine print. Uh, so anyway, Rick uh, said thanks for, for taking that that question, but I think you missed something on my test, so make sure you look at the whole test uh, and print that whole spreadsheet out because we did some different depths. We were thinking about the soil pH and different stratifications, and we found some interesting things looking at six inch versus uh, five different depths along the way. Yeah. So this was, this was great. And this is something I would tell every farmer to do. So if you're a farmer and you're listening today, then Listen to how he did this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He did a zero to two and a half inch depth, a two and a half to five inch depth, five to seven and a half, seven and a half to ten, ten to twelve and a half, twelve and a half to fifteen. So there are six different 
depths that he did going all the way down to 15 inches deep every two and a half inches. And and we're not saying, oh, do this on all your ground, but take just a handful of spots on your farm and do something like this. Now, we've even done one-inch samples, but if you did three-inch samples or something, that would be fine. But the reason why you want to do that is to see what's really, truly going on in your soil, and it's also going to teach you a little something about how fertilizer moves in the ground and where it's at. So uh, what I want you to think about first is where are the majority of your roots at? Are they at the zero to two and a half inch depth? Are they at the two and a half to five? Well, in my experience as an agronomist for a long time, if, if I had to pick two depths here and I'll see what you think. Well, actually, let me ask you, Darren. Okay, so... I think we all pretty much know it will be in the top foot, all right? Oh, and but I there should, are five I just choices say here. This too. Go ahead. Uh, this is 25 years of no-till. So okay. it, it's a, the soil structure is definitely different, and you think about that. How are you getting fertility out there? If it's a broadcast fertilizer situation, yep. well, then that top few inches is going to be really interesting compared well, we'll to talk about that, time. but let's talk about where are the roots because that's the first question. You want to feed where the roots actually are because then you've got the best chance to recover that fertilizer. So is it zero to two and a half? Is it two and a half to five? Is it five to seven and a half? Seven and a half to 10 or 10 to 12 and a half? Uh, I would tell you as an agronomist for a really long time, it's in the five to 10 inch range. Okay. That's where the majority of your roots are. Here's the problem. The majority of his fertilizer is in the top two and a half inches. Now with some of the nutrients, it's deeper than that. But just to give you an example here, he has base saturation K uh, let's see, where do I have that? His base saturation K is 13.3 in the top two and a half inches, then 5.8, then below that it's down in the threes. Okay, uh, in another spot it's seven in the top two and a half inches, which is great. The next two and a half inches it's 5.2, below that it's down in the threes. Okay, so that's my, we, we talk all the time about how potassium doesn't move very well in heavy soils. And that's absolutely true. It just doesn't, especially like for him where he farms, it's a dry area of the country and he's got heavy soil. So when you're dry and you have heavy soil, potassium's pretty immobile in soil. It's not as immobile as phosphorus, but it is pretty immobile. So he had the same kind of issue going on with zinc and let's see, I'm looking for his phosphorus just to confirm. I thought he had that with phosphorus as well. But the point here is simply when you've got immobile nutrients, if you're going to broadcast them, it may be decades before that fertilizer is down in the root zone where the majority of your crop roots are. So if you want fast recovery, if you say, look, I'm going to spend $50 on fertilizer and I'd like that $50 to get used this year as much as possible, don't broadcast it in no-till where you've got heavy ground and almost no rain. It's just not going to get down there when it's an immobile soil nutrient. You've got to somehow figure out a way to get it down into the ground and down where the roots are. Now, I'm not saying it all has to be down in the 5 to 10 inch range. I'm just simply saying there are more roots down there. So if you ever get it down there, then you have a better chance for a quicker recovery. And the other good thing. There, you're going to find more more water in that 5 to 10 inch range than you are in the 0 to 5 inch range. So if you can start at least moving some more of your fertilizer down, well, hey, when you get a drought year, and we're concerned about that this year, they say there's a 70% chance of below normal precip this year. 
if we get this drought year or, you know, not, not, not like 2012, but just a drier year, hey, we would like some nutrients down there where the moisture's at because nutrients go in with water. Well, if you don't have water and let's say it's in the top two and a half inches, I don't care if you have 13% base saturation K, it's not getting into the plant if there's no water there. So anyway, just a few comments, I, I would say, based on his soil tests. But yes, for any farmer, I would encourage you, do at least a little bit of this, and then you, you're going to definitely learn something about your soil. Oh, the last thing I'll throw out, his pH was very low. It was down in the fives in the top five inches. Below that, everything was fine. So he would be a good candidate for at least a little bit of lime. I'm not saying crazy amounts, but at least a little bit because his calcium was low, his pH was low. I mean, those top few inches are super, super important, and the pH is just out of line. All right, yeah, lots of information there on a soil test. Lots. And, and great job pulling lots of different depths, too, to, to really look at that. Let's take the next question here. This one comes from John. He's down in central Texas. He said, I've got a sandy loam soil with a 6 pH, 6.0, 4.7 CEC, and my base saturation calcium is 61.6. I've got 577 parts per million of calcium. So I've got a question about lime. And he said, I was told by a fertilizer dealer that a pelletized lime source I was considering is 33% calcium. Well, my calculations of what I would need based on my soil test tell me to add 188 pounds of calcium or about 560 pounds of this lime. My dealer says I only need 10% of what I think I would need if I used old-fashioned ag lime. The old stuff was also about 30 to 33% calcium. I'm wondering, is there a difference? Is he trying to sell me some snake oil here? What's going on with this? How much should I really use? Now, Brian, I ran the calculator just real quickly. If we put on 188 pounds of calcium, that would increase the base saturation calcium from 61.6 to 71.6 on that light 4.7 CEC soil. Yeah. So my question is, is it necessary at all? You're already at a 6 pH. What crop are you raising? He didn't, I didn't hear you say that. Did he send out what nope, crop he's No, didn't raising? say what crop he's okay, raising. here's my point. If you're raising corn, soybeans, sorghum, wheat, I don't know that I'm doing a whole lot. I might throw a little bit out. I might throw a splash of calcium out, but I'm not going to spend much money. I'd spend my money on other nutrients. And you want to make sure your magnesium levels are good in that light soil because you want to try to tighten that light light soil up and you can do that with magnesium. So definitely if I'm getting a lime, I'm going to try to get a dolomitic lime that's got good levels of magnesium in it. But anyway, where I'm going with this is it it's very crop dependent. So for example, if you said, well, I would like to turn this into alfalfa ground, um, it's not going to work if you're at a 6 pH. It's going to be a disaster. So in that case, you're going to need more lime because you want to get the pH up to 7. But in your case, if it's some other crop, then you might be just fine at the six. So I don't know if I'm doing anything. That's the first thing I will say. The second thing is, yeah, I don't care if it's pelletized lime or ag lime or water treatment lime. I don't care what kind of lime it is. All we care about at the end of the day is how much calcium is there and what's our effective calcium carbonate equivalent. So those are the things that we are looking at. And it basically comes down to what's the fineness of that lime? And then how much calcium is in that lime? And I don't care about a lot of the rest of the stuff. The fineness we can determine by looking at the uh, uh, the sieve and what, what it will go through. So ideally, 
if it would go through 100 mesh, <laughs> that'd be amazing. And if, if most of it will go through the 100 mesh, that's awesome. And we've got a fantastic lime source. So anyway, hopefully that helps you out just a little bit. All right. Thanks for the question, John. We really appreciate that. And it's fun to, to look at soils of different parts of the country, like here in this case, it was central Texas. It really varies and you don't have to go very far sometimes to find that variance out there. Thanks for listening to our show today. We really appreciate that. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.